When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gamecock Nation, what is up? Game week rolling on. South Carolina, North Carolina set for Saturday evening. 744 kickoff. Did you did you know that, Chris? 744? Yeah, man. I got it. I'm, I'm in. Time. You're in it. You're on you're in on the secret. Um, not 730 anymore, but still, I know, I know y'all are probably a little bit, you know, you want to have one more drink at your tailgate, a little slow getting into the game. Tell everybody at 7.30 that'll give you a 14-minute buffer to actually make it to your seat. As of right now, official game notes, 7.45 kickoff for Gamecocks and North Carolina. We are pumped for that. We're also pumped about our buddy Clint Hammond, clinthammond.com. He is with Movement Mortgage, 803-771-6933. Clint texted me out of the blue yesterday, Chris. He said he is scared to death because – he is so confident in a Gamecock win that it, that alone has him nervous. It's a, it's a cycle. Basically, Man. he got so confident that he scared himself to death. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Clint is fired up. My man was fired up at the Gamecock Central kickoff party. I'm sure his excitement has – he practically ran in, Wes, to the party. And uh, I can tell he's fired up about some Gamecock football. I don't need to buy a house right now. But if I did, I would be probably more excited about just getting Clint's Gamecock football takes than I would on buying the house. Like we'd spend like ten minutes on the house and forty-five minutes on football, probably. That that would be on brand. But yeah. uh, best mortgage guy in the business, uh, give him a shout or just go check out ClintHammond.com. We're halfway through game week. Before y'all know it, you will be watching the Gamecocks uh, kick it off against North Carolina. And Chris, uh, coordinator speaking today, we wondered, and it did end up including Pete Limbo, South Carolina special teams coordinator, of course, Dow Loggins, offensive coordinator, and of course, Clayton White, defensive coordinator as well. Uh, we've got a lot to get to in this show, including might be joined by our buddy Chris Pascal, uh, working on setting, making sure we've got that set up. I was a little bit late hopping on, but Chris, let's start with the coordinators, and uh, you got to always start offense. Dow Loggins, uh, I thought, pr- pretty measured today. Like, there wasn't a whole lot new. He was pretty measured about what he had to say. Um, but but still, maybe a little interesting note here or there. I've noticed that Lo- Loggins will give you a lot, like you, I think you used the word philosophically. He'll give you a lot in terms of approach, in terms of mechanics of how they do things like, Oh, this is what we did to prepare for this. This is what we did in the NFL. When you could talk to the quarterback directly into their ear through their helmet earpiece right up until 15 seconds before the snap and, uh, or for the end of the play play clock. So he'll give you a lot on that. Now you want to get into the X's and O's 
you want him to tell you who's going to be the starting left tackle. That's when he's really not going to give you a whole lot at all on that. No, absolutely. He, he I've, I've always been interested in his press conferences because of getting into some of those philosophical weeds, Wes. And, um, you know, the things that stood out to me today were not surprising in, in any form or fashion with what Logan said. Um, but I think they were all things that fans wanted to hear right now. Hearing it in a press conference is one thing. It is ultimately going to come down, and this is actually one of the things I wanted to hit on that Logan said, points, right? Like talking about when it comes to evaluating a statistic to gauge your your progress on offense, what does that look like? What does Logan's look like? Look at, he said, points, right? And so ultimately, that's what fans are going to look at. Uh, when he walks in to his weekly press conference after the North Carolina game, to kind of dissect what happened, uh, look forward to the Furman game. At the end of the day, Wes, if they score a bunch of points against North Carolina and win, he could be the most boring person in the world, and it would be fine. He could be the most engaging person in the world, and if the team isn't producing, people are going to kind of go to that, right? They're going to go to the points. So I, I thought that that was something that fans, nonetheless, probably wanted to hear. Um Another one, Wes, you know, you and I were wondering about this earlier today. Would the team respond from the Tuesday practice yesterday that was pretty crummy? Um, Shane Beamer stopping himself from using a worse word. I think he said, what did he say? Crap, crappy. It was, uh, yeah, it was crap. It was crap. And <laughs> it seems, if you, it was crap. If it seems like based on what Loggins thought, they responded today, which is not a big surprise, right? I think you kind of expected that. And so they came and responded today. And the last thing, Wes, before I turn it back over to you to kind of drive this bus, he was asked what makes him optimistic about Saturday. And I was interested in this answer, not, hey, we got a, we got a great team. Um, we, you know, I be, I'm confident in my abilities. He said those things in the past, right? But he mentioned number seven, Spencer Rattler, and that being a, a primary reason for what makes him confident and, We've talked about this a lot in the offseason, man. There, there are a lot of factors that are going to go into this offense, but number seven has the ability to do some special things for you. And uh, the, the, the staff seems to feel like he's had a big offseason and is ready to take that next step. Spencer seems to be playing with confidence. The staff seems to be very confident in him as well. Yeah, I mean, in football, if you got a quarterback, you got a chance. I think South Carolina feels like, uh, they got their guy. They have a quarterback, and now they're just ready to – I mean, I, I don't know about you, man. I kind of got the feeling those guys today, except for Pete Limbo, who just kind of – he's always going to give you some detail and some color and, and all these different things. I kind of got the feeling Loggins and Clayton White are just at the point of, like, let, let's let go play some ball. Like, let, let's line this thing up. Let's go see – there were even a couple of occasions, or, um, or I guess one occasion in particular, I should say. I think it was when he was asked about the running game. And Loggins basically said to an extent, like, yes, we are confident in our guys. We like what they have done. But we do still have questions that need to be answered on the offensive line. And he made a comment at, at a later point about, hey, we, we like our talent. Like, we like our guys. But we're ready to go see how they match up 
with other people. And we can get so caught up in our bubble, you know, whether you're media or fans or whoever, you follow every last little detail of your team and you forget this is a game of matchups. And, you know, you can be made to look really good by beating up on bad teams. You can make you can look really bad if you get beat up by a really good team. And so ultimately, you know, you're not playing in a vacuum. I think they do feel good about the progress of their guys to an extent. You know, are there still questions even internally? Yes. They feel good. But I think he made a comment um, about, hey, at Arkansas, we, we didn't really know what to expect. I think he even said he didn't think they were going to be too good in a couple of areas, and they ended up being pretty good. Yeah. So that caught my attention. Didn't he say he thought they were going to stink? That Yeah, I didn't want to misquote him, but I think that's what he said. I mean, that's what he said. And, um, yeah, and you look, I mean, Logan's only spent a year there. But, uh, shoo, based on – I know Arkansas didn't have the season they thought, but uh, their ability to run the football was typically not among their problems with uh, Rocket Sanders, former high school wideout, and then, of course, having K.J. Jefferson. So, yeah, I mean, look, you, you to some extent, Wes, to, to go off what you said, when you've got – when you're playing freshmen, right, we, we know there's a lot of freshmen that are going to factor into this football team based on what Shane Beamer said, and that can be uh, concerning at times, right? Even if they're very talented, they are still first-year guys, and none of them, absolutely none of them, have taken a snap in a college football game. Um, so that's always a concern, right? Um, kind of like a kicker, right? If, if you got a kicker, super talented, but he's never gone out there and kicked a – 45-yard field goal in a pressure situation in a, in a pressure-packed stadium, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, and, look, I think it's a great point about the bubble, too. Like, we look at it and say, okay, South Carolina's linebackers have improved a good bit. That's what we think. Do we know that? I don't think we can know that. I think we can say they're going to be better than last season. That's probably a little bit more uh, less subjective, maybe a little bit more objective. You can look at measurables. You can look at, you know, production metrics from last last offseason to this offseason, and you can make that determination. But when you get into kind of how much better can they be, that's when it becomes more difficult, right? Because you're going to play other teams that have really, really good football players. A lot of their those other teams are going to improve from one year to another individually and collectively. So – that's kind of, I think, the beauty of college football, but it's also um, why week one is so intriguing. If you have an opponent that's not, you know, an FCS opponent or not, uh, you know, a, a big step down in competition, there's so much intrigue around it because you just don't know what you're going to get. And there's so much intrigue around this team, Wes, I think especially offensively because of the new offense and, you know, what is it going to look like structurally and how big of a leap is Spencer made? What does the carry on look like at running back? There are just so many of those questions, you know, to answer, to say nothing even of the offensive line, which you mentioned earlier. I, I think Loggins does a, a really good job of giving fans some perspective when you really listen to him talk. And, and he kind of does take you into his – into his seat a little bit as far as what his role is as offensive coordinator. I thought that was great perspective. You may hear, oh, man, Carolina had a, a crappy practice. 
on Tuesday. It's game week. How can there be no sense of urgency? What's going on? What does this mean for Saturday? We talked about this earlier on the radio. I don't think it meant really a whole lot at all, but the perspective there, which Loggins brought, was it was almost like he kind of expected there to be a lull that day because he said, look, they had four days off. They, they really got to reset this weekend. So you hear, you can hear, oh, man, they had a terrible practice, and you can panic, or you can be like, well, okay, four days off. You're trying to, like, get back into the groove. It's a perfect opportunity for Beamer to grab his team's attention and be like, guys, what are we doing? This is not good enough. Uh, while at the same time, I don't think it's a time for panic whatsoever. And just that perspective of, hey, th- this could be a reason for that, I-, I thought was very, very interesting. I thought it was also I- – I love – Chris, I love, like, uh, in a nerdy way, I love hearing the thoughts on play calling, not the stuff we talk about where it's like, Successful play call, good. Play didn't work, bad play call. This guy sucks. But <laughs> right. the actual uh, process, how do you go into a game? How do you script your first 10, 15 plays? Um, getting into the details of, okay, if I put this formation out there, if I have three guys to the boundary, what is the tendency to how Gene Chizik likes to play that defensively and I can I can watch 15 years of film of Gene Chizik and be like okay 70% of the time he likes this against this look but then I'm in Charlotte and it's 8.05 p.m. well Chizik has gone to something completely different against this look So all week long, we've said, all right, we're going to try to get them in trips. They're going to respond by doing this, and then we're going to call this play because our percentages of it being successful are going to be up versus just, oh, we're running a random play, right? Well, now, you notice Logan said halftime is too late. Halftime is too late to make an adjustment. So we'll get into this on Friday, game within the game adjustments and how all – all sides are going to be dealing with some unknowns. But I thought that was a fascinating look into the mind of a coordinator as they are going into really any game, but especially a week one. You you have an idea. This, this is what they like to do. This is what, And then you throw in down and distance. This is their base call. If they're, you know, first down, 55% of the time, they're going to give you this look. What do we like against that? And then it, it sort of spirals out from there, all the different scenarios that can play out in a football game. But it it is fascinating to hear a coach when they are willing to kind of give you a little bit of insight into their mind, into their mindset in making those decisions. That may be boring to some people. It may be a little too in the weeds for other people. But I, I think it's a, a really cool glance at his thought process. No, I love it. And, and you know, he mentioned he uh, he has tape from the past. Gene Chizik has tape from the past. I think North Carolina West has the bigger challenge because I feel like they're going to have to cobble more together from the past, right, just because we know 
some of the different areas South Carolina is going to draw from. Yes, you can go back and look at Logan's NFL tape, which it's the NFL. There's a lot more, typically a lot more involvement with the NFL in terms of just different, you know, number of personnel groups, multiplicity, things like that. Uh, but you're also going to see some stuff from Arkansas. You're going to see some stuff from last season at South Carolina. You're going to see some stuff from Oklahoma. Um, I would imagine, look, this is college football. There's a lot of resources. Probably not too many personnel groupings that Dow Loggins is going to call where North Carolina just goes, never seen this before, right? I mean, it, it, typically that's going to be on some tape that they viewed. But Loggins mentioned, hey, when you're building your openers, you mentioned game within a game, Wes. I mean, here's one. You're calling plays at the beginning of the game, number one, to get some yardage, right, and try to move the change, try to score. But you're also building in, I want to see how they're reacting to this. You know, I, I, if they're playing this against this, maybe we need to adjust. Maybe we need to keep calling it. Maybe we like this matchup. Um, Ellis Johnson told me a while back, Wes, that Steve Spurrier was the best he'd ever seen at just adjusting quickly. Um, he mentioned a lot of guys are going into halftime and they're saying, here's what we're seeing. Let's compare all the data. He said with Spurrier, it took maybe a couple plays and he kind of had a really good feel for it. Uh, you know, Loggins mentioning too, halftime's too late. You know, if you, if you're not adjusting to what the other teams do and you're getting to halftime, it could be too late for you. And Wes, that's going to be the case, especially in this game. If you're not having success early on offense, it might get out of hand because this North Carolina team, again, I, I go to this line, you can't score 14 points, 21 points, and win this game. You're going to have to find some early success on offense. You don't, you don't want it, Chris, to get into territory. I mean, let's keep it with Arkansas since Loggins brought it up. Carolina against Arkansas last year, it felt like they were chasing that game the entire way. They were. Um, when you, it, It's not impossible to win. Like, we've all seen – you've all seen your team. If you're listening, watching, you've all seen your team. For most of you, it's the Gamecocks. Have one of those games where you're chasing your tail for the entire game. And you've all seen one where you find a way to pull it out. And it's a, a minor miracle. It's a minor sports miracle that that you made it happen. And they're some of the most exciting games in the world. But, what, 90% of those where you feel like you're just chasing, 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 um, you, you don't end up coming out on top. It's, it's very hard to do. However, look look no further than what South Carolina did to North Carolina in the bowl game two seasons ago. They were the aggressor. North Carolina was chasing that game the whole way. And even when it felt like North Carolina maybe was about to gain a little bit of momentum they were already having to make up so much ground that South Carolina responded and then by all intents and purposes the game was for the most part over and so you, you you're to still Chris's phrase I don't think Chris you haven't used margin for error yet this this football I, season uh yeah I know it's conscious I went to rehab in the off season on the margin for error well, I'm going to use it for you, man. The margin for error, if you're chasing points. I'm back on, what is it, on the wagon, off the wagon? It's like yeah. a Seinfeld episode. Whatever it is. <laughs> you're, you're, te- you're tempting me. What? You're back You're back off the wagon, I think. You fell off the wagon. Fell I think off that's the wagon. It. That's right. There you go. You got it. Yeah. Okay. 
Who's on first? Um, who's on second? I don't know. I'm I'm a bad influence on you, man. But <laughs> so, yeah. The, uh, the the fact is that we I've completely lost my train of thought. But we we got to move on to something else, Chris. In the meantime, why don't you tell everybody about our friends at Liberty Tax and oh. uh, how you uh, you have no taxiety whatsoever in your life? I'm not falling off the taxiety wagon. I might have a uh, might be next several episodes of gc live i'll be overusing margin for error because of wes tempting me with it but uh i will not be tempted wes by the irs i don't think or any kind of tax problems because my guy larry over at liberty tax has helped me out and my family two locations over in irmo both off st andrews road 803-462-5576 Guy Larry's awesome. Sat down, met with him. He took plenty of time to go over what we did in the past, where we're looking to go in the future. Followed up with me with emails, phone calls, text. Super available, super knowledgeable. I was absolutely blown away by his level of service. Let him do the same for you. Absolutely no taxiety. Just head it off immediately so that you're not chewing on that pencil like you see in the graphic, the taxiety. That that pencil has been through a lot. Yes, um, it's been through, seen some things. Old, old school number two pencil right there. Um, 803-462-5576. Appreciate you, Larry. Big time Gamecock fan too. And uh, appreciate his support of the show. Uh, everybody's got to do their taxes. Um, at least you're supposed to. So uh, let Larry help you out through that process if you're here in the Midlands. Uh, let's see, Chris. Let's roll it over to defense. Clayton White. Uh Clayton White said he's been having had a couple dreams about his first <laughs> defensive call. I feel like he talks about dreams a lot, like not being it. Like he's very sleep oriented. Like he's talking about sleep or I had a dream about this or a nightmare. He, he talks about that stuff a lot. Very active imagination, apparently. I, I mean, it made me wonder what 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 were the calls like? Was he doing the old uh, NCAA? Two both linebackers blitz into the A gap, just send six free fire, free fire. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, the uh, NFL blitz um, or, or the engage eight from uh, from NCAA where you just you send eight poor guys and then That's you have the three one. the three guys dropping into zone coverage. Hopefully that wasn't the call. But um, I, I don't know. So my my maybe biggest takeaway from Clayton just off the top of my head was remember how we talked about TJ Sanders kind of being Oh, he's kind of considered a starter, even though he's on the second line on the depth chart. He said Mokaba, kind of the same thing. You know, Mokaba considered a starter in his mind. This is a guy who the, the injuries have kept him from having the career he would have had. I won't even say could have had. I, I think he would have had to this point. But he still has has been around the game. He's been around the program. He's been in this defense. Um, he's seen a lot of ball. And so, I mean, Chris, they, they've got Pup Howard, a, a super freshman, as one backup. They got Mo Kaba as another backup. I mean, we've talked about this linebacking core and how we think they can be better. And we think that they can be, uh, you know, deeper. Throw in Bam Martin Scott. I know he's questionable this week, but. Hopefully, at some point, they get him back 100%. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I truly don't remember the last time they've really been able to go that that far down the depth chart 
and and feel pretty good about the athleticism you're still putting on the field. Yeah, that that to me, man, is the biggest. Um, I'm trying to make sure I don't overstate it. Yeah, I th- that's the biggest upgrade on the team, right? It has to be. When you look at um, what we saw last season versus this season, um, you know, you started a couple guys who played a lot of ball, um, two six-year guys. Wes, you've mentioned this before, so I'll reiterate. Sherrod Green, you know, he dealt with f- his fair share of tough injuries at South Carolina. Uh, Brad Johnson, when he got to South Carolina, freshman year 2017, he was a buck, right? And so he was always – it wasn't until later in his career that he picked up, you know, Will linebacker. He was more of a buck. He was more of a Sam-type linebacker. Him playing Will was something that came on much later in his career. And so beyond that, athletically, there wasn't as much depth. You know, you remember one year Sherrod went down, and it was, you know, then you had uh, Damani Staley, who who kind of was your third guy. Now he was your starter, right? This season, of course, you want to stay as healthy as possible, but even not having Mo Kaba, who was, what, the defensive player of the spring last year, he had garnered a lot of special teams accolades. He might have been the leading tackler last year. You didn't have him, and I think that kind of showed. Now you're coming in, and for a variety of reasons, Kaba isn't even technically a starter for you, right? And you still feel pretty good about that spot. So I think they're in position athletically where they've upgraded and they've also added depth because of the types of players they have. There's a lot of different types of skill sets, a lot more athleticism. Is there a little bit of an experience gap? Yeah, when you're talking about a guy like Stone Blanton, who uh, you know is a true sophomore, even Debo Williams, who saw the most action of his career last year, is mainly a special teams guy as a freshman. Yeah, a little bit of an experience gap, but I think that'll be helped along by just the talent level and, and also the depth here. They're in a better spot. And, you know, two guys there, Stone Blanton, Debo Williams, they had to withstand the push from, you know, from a Mokaba coming back uh, to an extent, the push from from a guy like Pup Howard and from Ben Martin Scott, too, who, uh, you know, by all indications before he got banged up, I uh, I think Ben Martin Scott had a really good offseason, too, from what I've heard. So uh, you've had guys pushing each other. You do have some athleticism. And, Chris, as Gamecock Central subscribers learned – he, you have him as your stone, as your your bold prediction this year. Um, how confident are you in your prediction that Stone potentially slides into the leading tackler? Um, I was going to say conversation. I think he'll definitely be in the conversation. How confident are you that he pulls that off and is South Carolina's leading tackler? You know, it's pointed out to me today, Wes, that that's not that bold of a prediction, and you're probably right. You know, if I said something like, well, South Carolina is going to beat Clemson for the second year in a row or, you know, something like that, it's certainly compared to some of the predictions you guys rolled out, not very much on a limb, you know. Um, mine wasn't bold either, if that makes you feel better. It, it, it makes me feel fine. You know, I am a little disappointed. I could have gone more bold. But – I, I think I was trying to find a way to shoehorn that take in there that that I do think Stone will be, you know, how confident um, reasonably. Look, the, the past couple seasons, USC's leading tackler was a safety. Um, you know, they had a run for a while where it was a linebacker. Um, you could think back to uh, Ernest Jones had a couple seasons. Uh, Sky Moore had a season. TJ Brunson had a season. A lot of times it is a linebacker. Now, if at the end of the year we're talking about 
Nick Eamonwari being the leading tackler, and I've been, am I going to be, you know, gobsmacked by it? Absolutely not. But I think Blanton, he's – Clayton White has called him a GPS linebacker. He's a guy that's around the football a lot. And I think if he is the leading tackler, to me, Wes, I think that's going to bode better, right, for uh, this run defense. Nick Eamonwari plays close to the line a good bit, if last season's any indication. So he's going to make some tackles close to the line. He's also going to clean up some things that happen beyond that first line of defense. But I think last season, too often he was cleaning plays up beyond that second level. So if the Gamecocks can keep things a little bit more in the box, so to speak, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities uh, for Stone this year. Yeah, I mean, Emory is awesome. And – uh, some some of those ta- a lot of those tackles it wasn't just because he's cleaning things up it's because he's cleaning things up and he's really good you know like how how many times did you just say oh that run's about to go like really long and then here comes twenty one and makes a sure one on one tackle in the open field uh, I mean th- this kid was a warrior last year I mean I saw him roll his ankle against Georgia and I'm like. He's going to be out for a month, and then he's back in there a, a drive later, a few plays later. I don't remember exactly, but he's back in there going toe-to-toe with the the national champs, basically. So, sometimes, you know, you, you just – I think you really just hope if you're Carolina that most of the even worry tackles or big plays are just because he's shooting in there to, to make a spectacular play. It's almost always a bad sign when your safety ends up being the leading tackler, especially a couple of years, what, three years in a row now that would be. Um, you, you just – you don't want that, man. And you, you've got two linebackers in this scheme on the field most of the time. So, two, you really are hoping that most of the running plays get funneled to those two guys, I think. And you have uh, different style players in Stone and Debo – Debo's a headhunter, and you just kind of get the feeling, or at least I do, this is my take on Debo, if they can kind of just unlock his potential, like the actual potential there as far as being a guy who's willing to throw his body around, knocks people backwards, gets to the football. Um, he, he's kind of a high upside player. You just kind of got to – I think it's taken a little bit of time for him to get locked into how do I walk the line? between being that headhunter that's sort of just like let me attack while also staying within the confines of what I'm supposed to do on a given play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's grown in confidence. I think he's grown in knowledge in this defense. And physically, you know, you don't – you certainly like – you know, that matchup. You like Debo Williams against a quarterback running a draw play. You like Debo Williams, you know, running the alley against a running back on a toss, right? You, you like him in the box um, against guys. He He's just – he's a vicious hitter. But I think for him it's been more about placement and coverage and um, run fits, right? All, all these different things. Again, first year, more of a special teams guy. Second year. Um, you know, we, we saw the playing time go up. He, he's played West in all 26 games since he's gotten to South Carolina. But we saw him last year take a more active role in the defense. 
Now I think you can expect another step up. Plays with a lot of confidence, plays with a chip on his shoulder. Wes, let me give you a stat, actually, too, because I, I don't want to gloss past this when we're talking about Nicky Minwari and DQ Smith. What those two guys did, we were talking, we just had a, a Nicky Minwari love fest, rightfully so rightfully so. The thing that should be exciting about Emanwari and Smith, what they did as freshmen was tremendous, like almost unprecedented. You get two guys who are freshmen who were not January enrollees come in and start and play and also do so at a pretty dang high level, right? But here's a here's a stat for you. Last season, uh, they had Nicky Manori and DQ Smith were number one and number two on the teams on the team in missed tackles, actually, per PFF. Now, a lot of times when you think about missed tackles, it's normally going to be safeties and linebackers. Makes the most sense. They're going to get the most kind of open field when you're out of the box action. But you can go back and think of several plays where you can go back and look, like you said, Nicky Minori cleaning stuff up, Nicky Minori making a great play, DQ Smith making a great play. There are also some where you can go back and look at the tape and you can see freshman moments. So that should be really exciting. And I've heard a lot, Wes. I mean, DQ Smith, the de- the, the defensive staff, feels like he's just one of their most reliable guys, carries himself like a pro. They're expecting a leap from him. They're also expecting a leap from Nicky Minwari. They feel like he's taken that tremendous athletic ability. Sometimes, Wes, he was getting by on that last year. Now they feel like he's putting the pieces of being a more complete player together, and that should be exciting because now if he can cut down on some of those freshman-type mistakes, that now you really, really have something, and that should be exciting to fans, I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. The, uh, the potential of those two with a year under their belt, a year together, a year kind of even knowing where, exactly where the other is going to be, Got to be exciting for for the fans and, of course, for for Clayton White and for Torian Gray and, and all those guys. Um, uh, we kind of just went all off the course there. Did, did you have any specific takeaways from Clayton White? I, I, I didn't feel like we – I feel like we've learned all we're going to learn about the defense until we actually see them play. Like, there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot new yeah. for him to tell us, but was there, is there anything that caught your eye? Yeah, no, I mean not not specifically, and and um, not to not to sound like um, I'm tired of hearing from Clayton White or, or anybody else. That, that's not the case. But I am I'm in that uh, that preseason camp phase where now I'm ready to see them. Like the players are ready to hit somebody else. The coaches are ready to see them hit somebody else. I'm there too. Like we are at the point where we've advanced. The hay's kind of in the barn. Like we we know. We kind of have a feel of what to expect. We have a feel for what the questions are. Let's line it up. Let's go play. So nothing super new uh, for me today. Yeah, agree. So we'll, we'll talk Pete Limbo. Let, let's go ahead and do that. Let's talk about Pete Limbo. And so you're always you're always going to get something from a Limbo press conference. I feel like now most of the time it's about football. Sometimes you might just learn about life or World War II, or minivans, you know, uh, the S&P 500, you you, you never know what's going to pop up. However, with Limbo, I shouldn't be shocked. I shouldn't be surprised by this at all. But 
my man was naming, he was like just popping off every single North Carolina special teams performer and giving a bio on them like a professor teaching a class he's taught 15 times. Very impressive. Yeah, not surprised. Uh, he, We know that Pete Limbo goes deep into the research, and he goes deep into, you know, the motivational tactics, and uh, he, he uses every little thing as a potential advantage. That's that's why he's so good, you know. Um, that That's why Shane Beamer hired him. It, it's always interesting to think back, Wes, at maybe how different things would be if, if Pete Limbo had said, no, nah, I'm good, Shane. I'm, I'm staying – I'm staying where I'm at. You know, Shane Beamer would probably be coaching the special teams, and they may be pretty dang good. But I don't know if they'd be this good because you basically have Beamer and Limbo both kind of working on them. Pete Limbo's in his office all the time, and he's working just on special teams. He's not working on special teams and linebackers, special teams and, you know, tight ends. He's working on special teams. That's all he does, and uh, and it really shows through. And, I mean, Wes, every every anecdote, every story we hear about this guy is normally related to his attention to detail. And so that was I was not a surprising thing to, to hear today. So he gave us the public-facing bios on these guys. It had my brain, had my wheels turning. We'll never know. But it, it did make me wonder. I wonder what the, the in-house little scribbles in the margin – Oh, this guy doesn't protect the football well. This guy, uh, he does the rugby kick 63% of the time. And um, this kid, you know, a regular punt, 27%, you know, like, and then he does coughing, like all the little details of what he's picked up on, especially with some extra time to prepare. Like that, that might be, I've, I've never. Dude, we've covered Carolina football for a long time. We've never, like, been excited about special teams and wondering what was going to happen like you are with this crew. Like they, they affect every game. And every time we say, oh, I wonder, wonder if this is the point where they don't find a way to affect a game. And then they – even, the, dude, the Florida game, which nothing else went right for Carolina at all, they uh, they hit a fake for a touchdown. Yeah, it, it it is the most complete experience in terms of special teams we've ever had. You know, I may be forgetting something, and certainly some people may point out some some past more individualized instances to us. I mean, Wes, every time a team kicked to Ace Sanders as a punt yeah. returner, you're going good point. There's a possibility here, but in in that same environment we weren't typically sitting there going all right here let, let's see what kind of fake punt they unleash or let's see about blocking a punt like we just we didn't see that and, and Carolina had some guys with really good special teams backgrounds and, and and we never saw that I mean Shane Beamer helped out with it at South Carolina Joe Robinson at South Carolina Ray Rich Lesky like, there have been some good special teams coaches that have come through here We've never had this complete an experience where literally every single special teams play could be a highlight just because it's so well executed and really nothing happens, which is a good thing. You know, sometimes nothing happens and that's a great play. It's hidden yardage. Um, it's the way that the gunners cover a punt. 
and then it's the fake. So you, you just get all of it in one. And it's, it's, it's obviously been, I mean, Sheen Beamer and Limbo talk all the time about how it's kind of part of the program's identity. And th- there's no doubt about that. For sure. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Limbo and what he had to say. You always get, you always get quite a bit from him. But first, uh, going to tell everybody about our friends at My Perfect Franchise and Andy Ludicky. Give Andy a call, 404-973-9901, or shoot him an email, andy at myperfectfranchise.net. As we have told you before, if you're ready to leave the corporate rat race, you want to try to live out the American dream, maybe you're just looking for a side hustle while you still keep your current job, or if you're just wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy, our friend Andy can help. He is a franchise consultant, which means he helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. The best thing about it is that his services are 100% free. He is here to help you if you have any questions about business ownership. So essentially, you talk to Andy, you tell him what your goals are, what your financial picture is, and then he says, I think this franchise A, B, and C, and D would work perfectly for you. Then he puts the two of you together. So, again, give Andy a shout, 404-973-9901. Back to Pete Limbo, Chris. I thought it was interesting just hearing him talk about a game one. And the number, what did he say, there were two kickoff returns for touchdowns in week zero. You don't really have that many games in week zero, but what watch college football. If, if you're not going to the game Saturday and you're watching games on TV all day, or if you're watching the games on Thursday, we got some Sunday games, a Monday game. Watch how many games last week and this week are plagued by special teams. Not great impact plays, but are also plagued by special teams miscues and Pete Limbo by pretty much every indication at this point is a top five if not the top special teams coordinator in the country I heard a guy speaking today Chris who refuses to rest on his laurels because he knows he knows how quickly it can go bad on special teams no, and you can tell even in games, Wes, uh, Pete Limbo very rarely allows himself, uh, you know, a smile, which he's talked about. Hey, I'm going to try to do that more. You know, the Clemson game, you can think about some a fist pump when Kai Kroger nailed a punt. But you also think about the biggest play of that game when they forced the fumble and he's pulling Kawan Banks aside, talking to him about something that happened during the play, right? Like in the midst of the celebration. So, we know that Pete is going to build, you know, we talk about his library of fakes. He has a library of here's what happened in the NFL. Here's what happened in college games, the good, the bad, the ugly. And and he's going to show those things to his players to, to drive home the impact. Wes, I was thinking, you know, last year, like think about the Georgia state game, right? South Carolina, again, they won by 21. It didn't really look like it. They weren't dominant offensively. They weren't dominant defensively but they were dominant on special teams. That was a huge mismatch, you know, just schematically and from a player standpoint. And so that that's an area where they're able to create a lot of mismatches and it, and it makes it a lot tougher on their teams and his, his preparation and that not resting on laurels is a big reason for that. 
Yeah, I um, we talked about this earlier today, man. But the the amount of time other teams have to prepare for your special teams now that the word is out on South Carolina special teams, like it, it kind of goes both ways. Like just running a super simple surprise fake or a surprise two point conversion that's just basic probably doesn't fly anymore if you're South Carolina because they're they're on alert for that at all times. But how many times what how many times do you maybe spring a punt return because they have to be in punt safe against you? Um how much extra practice time that they could be working on offense or defense is put in to prepare for what you might do on special teams. Now if you're Pete Limbo, you just gotta go deeper. You gotta go deeper into the special teams encyclopedia. You got to maybe have some fakes that um, we've already seen this fakes that almost build off of some of their other fakes. They're not just, you know, your typical to go back to NCAA and Madden, your typical, just basic uh, all the holder pulls the ball up and runs a bootleg after fake, you know, after faking a field goal, like you got to get a little more and more creative with it, but their, their guys have been so good, you know, Tonka Hemingway, so good at mixing other guys in and finding roles for them on special teams. You're just – you go into every game saying, all right, what's next? What do they have in store for us? But I think that also serves to sort of keep an opponent on their heels, which is what you always want. A guy he mentioned – so we were talking earlier this week about Beamer saying – you know, there's guys on, there's guys not on this depth chart that are going to play on Saturday night, and some of that will be on special teams, obviously. How about our guy Zabari Sandy getting a shout out from Limbo today, getting a little bit of love, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he maybe is a guy. I don't think we've talked about him really at all on the show yet, Chris. So let's give uh, Zabari a little bit of love. He's playing some corner. Mm-hmm. He was he was out there with maybe that that third group on one of the practice windows, I think. So working his way into the mix as a true freshman, rightfully so, but maybe a bit of a um, opportunity for him to to help as a freshman on special teams. Yeah, and we know Limbo's been auditioning some guys, man, for some for some different things. Uh, they lose that they, they return their kicking, punting, battery, which is great, but some other guys are not back. You know, there's some key coverage guys and and some key you know shield guys that you you got to take a look at. So uh, we we know he'll play he'll play guys if they're the best fit. He's looking for specific skill sets and specific you know willingness to do things. So yeah, we we have not uh, focused much at all on Zabari, and and I have a feeling West is probably going to be a guy or two during the season that pops up and you say, hmm, that that guy, whether it's a veteran, whether it's a freshman. Hey, that guy's getting some run on special teams. And I'm I'm very interested, Wes, when we get through with the North Carolina game to go back and say who's out there on special teams. That that'll be something that I think we'll we'll spend a good good bit of time on. Yeah, for sure, man. So um you, you learn so much about a team. Game one, game two, new details, new data. Um I actually like to sort of if, if you can see it on the TV copy, go back and just see, all right, who's on the kickoff team? Who's on the kickoff return team? Are there guys – which guys on this team that aren't playing on offense and defense? Because usually 
that can be a sign for the future. That can be a sign of, okay, these guys are building trust within the staff. These guys are showing they want to have a role and they're going to work hard to get a role. So I think that if you kind of want to de- you know, get deeper past the surface level stuff, that can be pretty uh, beneficial. All right, any, any, you got anything else on Limbo press conference, Chris? No, I think that's all I got, man. Yeah, he he did. He said North Carolina's special teams have uh, have steadily improved since Mac Brown has been there. You could tell there's a a good bit of respect for what they're doing and a good bit of respect for their specialist on their roster. Let's hit maybe a couple of these questions, Chris. Um, Craig says uh, fifteen or more more carries. Let me just start over. DK. More than 15 carry. I was trying to rephrase what Craig said, and um, didn't work my brain, out. My brain did a sentence that wasn't even a sentence. <laughs> DK more than 15 carries. Who? Mm, yes, yes. I'll go there. How strong you feel about it? Not. Nope. <laughs> not, not strong. That's a low confidence pick. But we got to give Craig a pick. I, I can't say I don't know. I'm not. I'm not guessing. I'm low confidence. Low I could easily be swayed the other way. I think. Yeah, yeah. How how much do you think these new clock rules are going to play into the stats of like? Well, Limbo talked about that today. Maybe that should have been another one of my takeaways. Was it Limbo or was it Loggins? I think it was Limbo. I think it was Limbo. Every, yeah. Everybody was asked about it. But yeah, he they they seem to see a decrease, right? In in the overall amount of plays. But do we have a big enough sample size to say like this is the effect? No, probably not. Net overall, probably less plays. Yeah. But but we, we don't know is it is it on average, let's say we finish the 2023 season. Is it five less? Is it ten less? Like, what, what does that look like? We don't really know. But, yeah, certainly. I, I think uh, – look, and this is a team also – maybe this is the point you were going to make. I have a feeling you're leaning the other way. Um, you know, this is a team that might throw the football a good bit. You know, so you got to bake that in as well. Yeah. I qu- Questions like that are so hard to answer because they're dependent on so many other variables. So, if you get that other variable wrong in your head, then – you know, it's, it's one of those things, it, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if he got 15 or more. Would it surprise me if he got 13 carries and Juju got 10 and somebody else got five? No, because I could see a scenario where Rattler throws the ball 40 times in this game. Um, he said more than 15. That That's, actually, that's a, actually a lot of carries in a college football game. If you think about the times Marshawn got up into like near the twenties, those were games where it felt like they were force feeding him the ball. Yep. Yep. So, I'll, I'll all, on the I'll other hand, other hand, just to play devil's advocate, there are some games where South Carolina wasn't good enough offensively to, you know, sustain drives and to get enough plays where maybe that number could have crept up in theory, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we saw some other games where the carries were not as extensive because they were throwing it more around the yard. So, yeah, that, that is a good question. That's kind of a stumper there by Craig. Yeah. Um, happy, happy, happy. Great, uh, great screen name, man. Um, he said uh, perhaps the clock rule changes the reason we see more hurry up on tape out of camp. Maybe. I mean, I, I think some of that is Spencer wanting to – play with a little bit faster tempo and frankly i think you know I, I saw there was like one clip on twitter of the team running hurry up and I, I think people took it and ran with it and it's like well they they do tempo work 11 on 11 early in practice like quite a bit like that that's just that's a way to get the tempo of the practice going like that's not necessarily a sign that they're going to be some hurry up, fast tempo team. Um, it's a little bit more of a practice thing than anything, I think. Uh, now, could we possibly see them use a little more tempo, especially if they're having success offensively? I think so, but that I think that's more just game to game, situation to situation. And if Spencer is in a rhythm and they feel like that's helping him, then uh, then yeah, I think you could see that. Um, we had two people ask the same questions at the same exact time. Pretty funny. Gamecock retweeter. Great Twitter account. Give him a follow. And Preston Jones, who scores the first touchdown of the season for the Gamecocks? Chris is uh, – I guess Chris didn't like that question. He decided to dip out on us. I – well, I was just going to give you an answer, but – since I got to stall until Chris gets back. Uh, there he is. He's back. I, th- I think the storm got me, Wes, so we're on precarious ground here. Well, we're all, we're almost done anyway, but if we just drop off, then y'all know why. Yep. Um, may- maybe it's because of the spring game. I'm going to say Trey Knox. Ah, dang it. I was going to go with the tight end as well. You were going to go Josh Simon, probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> let me let me reconfigure though. Let, let me see. Um, you know what? I'm going DK Joiner, rushing touchdown. Okay. Let's do that. Let's go there. I like but, my pick. Um, what What would you? What if I said Lenore Sellers? In a short yardage package, I'm I'm in love with it. You can do it, but here that's another question. You can dream up every possible scenario for the first touchdown. Mm-hmm. Who was it last year, Marshawn? First touchdown. Yeah, I I think so. I think it was, but I, I don't remember either. So um, it is funny. It's hard to predict, but. Who knows? We'll see. Um, Travis saying there's no reason why DK shouldn't have five to seven attempts in the first two drives. I think that depends on how well they're running it. Um, Erland says if Spalding doesn't play, who's the next next nickel up besides Keenan Nelson? Yeah, that's a good question, Erland. I, I think you got several guys who could play there. You, I mean, Kawan Banks is a guy who can play anywhere. D'Angelo Gibbs 
kind of the forgotten guy at this point. He was he was in that mix behind those guys in camp. Um, there's always the possibility if they want to that they just slide DQ down to nickel in that scenario. Jalen Kilgore has, I think, really had a great camp at safety, so you would maybe slide DQ down, play Kilgore at safety. Uh, so I, I don't have an exact answer for you, Erlin, but I think all those guys are possibilities depending on exactly what they've done in practice leading up to this week. Um, agree, Chris? Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's a couple other questions. Michael says, what advantage do we have that UNC is moving a right guard to left tackle? I mean, it's never a positive if you're a team having to do that. But Carolina has their questions too, I think. That they do. Uh, you know, and so it, it's it's an advantage potentially for South Carolina defensively, but you have the same issue on the other side that, that could, in theory, cause you some problems. I mean, we know that – uh, North Carolina has felt better about their interior um, of their offensive line and not as good about the tackles. And that's very similar to South Carolina, of course, as well. So um, it could be something they take advantage of. But you look at it, South Carolina's edge position is a question. So um, it, does it end up being weakness on weakness or can South Carolina exploit that? That remains to be seen. Um you, if you're South Carolina, you hope that you can. You hope that you can use that. Obviously, North Carolina struggled even last year in the midst of the season that Drake May had. They gave up a ton of sacks, and you got to hope that continues as well. How how much do you think the fact – I mean, it, it's kind of no coincidence that both these teams have struggled to find solidified tackles. Like, I, I think some of that is just, hey, these, these guys are hard to find in recruiting. You know, I, like, I, I think we talked about that with South Carolina's recruiting class, how how key it is to get guys like Josiah Thompson and Cam Pringle in this class that will be coming in next year. You got a guy like Tree Babalade in this class that's the true freshman right now. But these guys just – are, are not easy to find. And then if you do find them, they're not easy to land. They're, they're not. Um, it's a premium position. It's kind of like, you know, the NFL. I mean, offensive tackles are going to be paid very highly. Edge rushers are going to be paid highly. Quarterbacks. And you kind of look, those are the positions that are really hard to find at the college level, too. You talk about this a lot in the portal, West. It's kind of, hey, if you need tackle, man, just go get one in the portal. Well, that's hard uh, because they're either going pro or they're sticking it out at their school because they're they're not looking around going, well, I'm not getting the ball. You know, you, no, you're not getting the ball. You, nobody wants to tackle to to have the football. So you're, they're they're much much harder to find in the portal. And so, right, that's why this, this does set up really well for South Carolina when you look at how they're recruiting on the offensive line. Uh, but but very interesting storyline, Wes, that both these teams have some pretty significant questions here and. You know, whatever team solves those in a in a bigger and better way, um, 
that will give them an advantage. It will not be the only storyline in this game or the only thing that has an effect, but it will have an effect. Uh, and, and maybe, Wes, it's one of these tackles on either team. They allow a free rusher, and now the quarterback fumbles or he throws a pick because he's pressured. That's the type of thing that that I think is going to end up mattering in this game. So definitely storyline to win. I think going to be key for both these quarterbacks, too, to be able to do some things while under duress. That was one thing Drake May actually, as much pressure as teams got on him last year, did a really good job of operating under duress. Uh, you know, Rattler has done a good job, by all indications, of getting the ball out quick in practice, quick release, uh, decisive decisions. Well, he's going to have to continue to do that against North Carolina as well when you have a uh, an offensive line that still has questions at offensive tackle. Um, all right, we're out of time for today. That should be a good preview for what we will talk about on Friday. We'll have our Friday final preview of South Carolina versus North Carolina. In the meantime, uh, Mike Yuva will have a Thursday afternoon show um, talking about whatever he wants to talk about. And then on Friday, uh, I believe he's going to have J.D. Piquel, uh national uh, guy for on three, who actually just picked South Carolina to beat North Carolina. So we will hear from J.D., Mike Will, on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll have final preview. Thoughts on this North Carolina team. We'll take everything we've learned the last, I don't know, eight months and uh, try to dial it into one final preview show of South Carolina versus North Carolina. Appreciate everybody for joining. Appreciate everybody in the chat, your questions, your comments, all that stuff. Awesome as always. We're going to get out of here, but we'll see you all on Friday.